This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. I am one of your hosts, Mike Bowden, the still head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freight Waves. I'm joined by Joanna. I'm going to give you a nickname here, Joanna Storm Chaser <laughs> Marsh. Seems like you've been out um, chasing the storms, seeing exactly what's the, the issue with the, the, the railroads. Are you safe yeah, indoors yeah. now that, that, and, and not in the in That seems my personality. That's <laughs> so exciting. Um, yeah, Storm. So Idalia, is that? Yeah. So she is the Storm. Um, was a hurricane. Uh, I, um, it was a Wednesday. Um, made landfall in Florida after you know being the Caribbean in the Gulf, the Gulf of Mexico, and um, so still heading out. Uh, uh, eventually, gradually to the um, Atlantic Ocean. So um, it's now a tropical storm, uh, but. Um, still, you know, uh, CSX, um, made an announcement late. I think, I think it was late yesterday. Cause when I looked at 6 PM Eastern time, it wasn't there, but, um, uh, that, uh, you know, that they had, um, temporarily, um, stopped some operations in, um, in sort of in, in Florida, Georgia, couldn't the border around there, um, have since resumed those operations. But um, are kind of assessing uh, sort of uh, service impacts um, along the I ninety five corridor um, uh, in I think Georgia and South Carolina, so around that area. So, um, so yeah, that's essentially what's going on. So um, as of now, I haven't gotten an update yet in terms of uh, whether CSX has restored that service. Um, uh, you know, uh, near the I ninety five corridor. Um, I mean. Uh, they would notify customers uh, when it when it will restore service, but hasn't been restored yet. Um, so it's one of those things. It's just kind of you know, just kind of uh, uh, things update uh, fairly quickly, which I guess is good in the sense that you don't really want um, um, significant, uh, uh, you know, I don't see delays to your operations, but you know, um, sort of th those times when you just have to pause things. So that's what's going on. Um, hurricane season. Yeah, you think of I ninety five as being more of a, a more of a truck corridor, um, but you know, CSX has a lot of operations near the coast. I mean, more so than Norfolk Southern does. Has a, a sonar chart that shows the rail lines. If we could bring that up, um, you know, and, and basically what this shows is that uh, this is that's where the, the the storm currently is on, on sonar. Yes, those are this one here shows. CSX uh, lines, um, you know, basically the main line in, uh, in in yellow, and then Norfolk Southern, the other Eastern Class One railroad, in purple. And sort of the takeaway here is really, you know, Norfolk Southern doesn't go into Florida very much. Maybe it goes to, to Jacksonville, one other part in the sort of the north central part of the state, but all that part in, in sort of central Florida 
um, you know, really sort of uh, CSX territory. And then when you go further north along the coast, you do see Norfolk Southern hitting the big port cities like Savannah, Norfolk, um, et cetera. But then you really see sort of CSX, their network being more more coastal. And so a storm like this that kind of goes along, you know, where, where it cut through and, and, and going through the, the southeast, more potentially disruptive for CSX. Their tracks are a little bit more north-south than, than, than Norfolk Southern. Um, so uh, I, I think that's why we've seen more service alerts from CSX. Specifically, I also have an interesting sonar chart on outbound um, rail container volume uh, outbound of, of central Florida. And so this is from a company that processes the railroad way bills. We have it in freight wave sonar. And what this is based on the date that these containers are ingated. And so you see sort of typically, you know, central Florida, not, not a huge region for uh, intermodal. Um, outbound, although there's a, a port there, you know, see, see typically, let's, let's say 210 containers uh, at sort of a typical day. And you see sort of before the storm hit, there looked like there was some sort of shipping ahead of time where they got some of those ingated, went up to about 240, and now it quickly went down to 190. Those are seven-day moving averages. So would expect in the next day, and this is up to updates every day, we would expect to look at this tomorrow morning and to see a, a more significant, uh, you know, drop off. But there's there's all, always things like that in sonar that you can, you know, see in a bunch of charts. Anytime there's, um, you know, some kind of disruptive event, you can see just exactly how disruptive that that that's been. There's another chart that I don't have in my back pocket that I was looking at earlier today um, in sonar that was showing the the reefer um, tender rejection rates in Central Florida. And you know, yes, the tender rejection rates have increased. Um, nationwide, they've increased more than that in, in in Florida, but then the refrigerated ones really spiked way up in in, in Florida. So that seems seems to be where there's uh, capacity, uh, you know, tightness, um, you know, right right at the moment. So that's a, a little bit of an overview. I think we can move on to the next uh, you know, topic here. Um, we talked a little bit about this, you know, last week. Uh, the situation with CSX, they had two different conductors in two different parts of of Maryland, one in Cumberland, I think one was in Baltimore. Uh, you know, die. This um, is, is sort of a follow-up to what we talked about last week, this NTSB uh, probes um, uh, employee training practices. And, you know, this this diagram is interesting. And I, and I really hadn't read, read the detail about this until I read your article. And it seems like, I guess what happened is the conductor was in part of a training program. He was you know, doing something called a, a shoving movement. Not sure exactly, you know what what that means, but he was essentially riding this locomotive at nine miles an hour, and it there just wasn't enough clearance with these standing locomotives. I guess got got crushed. Was that your understanding? Yeah, yeah. It, it was. There are three people involved, and um, uh, yeah. So one one conductor was on one end, uh, you know, one side of the. Actually, I think it was an intermodal rail car. And then the other one was on the, 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 the trainee was on the other end. Uh, and then, you know, was, uh, um, the, the it, it came too close to the, um, to, to the parked locomotive. And, um, and so the, you know, the, so that conductor trainees, um, sustained injuries that way and, and later, um, uh, died, um, you know, after they took him to the hospital. Uh, so, um, it, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that I, I you know, that the, that, um, you know, that you, 
I feel like you you see kind of forces working together in terms of those, like you know the the regulatory bodies. You have the the Federal Railroad Administration um, issuing its um, safety bulletin. Uh, uh, you know, after that, kind of shortly after that accident, actually um, talking about shopping movements and and being aware of clearances and making sure you know, um, yeah, just just uh, there's no regulation necessarily, but just uh, for the rail industry and for individual companies to be mindful of of um, when when things get too close uh, for people, and uh, and then and then you also have the NTSB, um, you know, issuing their um, of course, the investigation is still ongoing, but kind of issuing, you know, saying what they're going to be focusing on, which is also the, the training and the um, and um, the, those close clearances. So, you know, sadly for better or for worse, it is interesting how like you know you have you, you have the regulators and, and the federal government, and then you know, and then um, uh, Smart TD also came out with its own like internal uh, safety advisory, sort of telling union members to. Um, uh, to uh, you know, if, if something feels safe, you can you know you can uh, you can stop the train or you, you can stop what you're doing because um, obviously um, ensuring that everyone's safety is is the most important. So um, so it's it's interesting how you have this momentum coming together in terms of uh, um, looking to see um, looking looking to prevent uh, a similar um, uh, situation happening in the future. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Yeah, I mean, these type of issues happen from time to time. And I thought it was interesting that one of the uh, sort of prescriptions to resolve this or make sure it doesn't happen again is to um, mark sort of mark areas where there's little or no clearance. I guess in this case, there was only seven inches of clearance. You think of seven inches, wow, that's you know n- not, not very much at all, um, certainly enough to, to injure someone. But it, it also seems to me that this would be something where like someone more experienced probably wouldn't have made this mistake. They would have sort of known that there was no clearance because I mean, those, those tracks, you know, haven't moved. Um, so it, it does seem like, you know, something maybe should change about the, um, you know, the, the training, you know, methodologies. Um, but, you know, for the most part, that's the railroad for workers, I think would tell you that there's, there's sort of all of these different procedures that need to be in place and sort of the key to saying staying safe is to always follow I mean there's rules about you know when to cross you know tracks and the, and those things and sort of the key to staying safe is always sort of follow those rules even when there's no possibility for danger because you sort of when you're dead tired you're at the end of a 12-hour shift you sort of those habits can can stick and in those cases, it could it could it could save your life. But um, yes, yeah, this sort of a situation that you know we hope uh, it doesn't happen again. And um, but I appreciate your uh, uh, you know covering this uh, topic. Um, why don't we yeah, move on to the next one here? Yeah. Uh, go oh, ahead. Yeah. Do you have anything else? Oh no no no! I was just I was just gonna say I I think it was Smart TD. I'm not sure, but um, you know, kind of covering this um, that I I think the the other conductor who was uh the, the the one who's on the other side of, of the rail car 
um, who uh, wasn't injured, um, I think was also a fairly new um, employee, him, uh, I'm assuming to him um, himself. So, um, you know, so, so you also have that, that other factor of, of you know, when you, you know, if, if you have someone under your care who, who is, who's really newer, a trainee, um, you know, ensuring that, you know, you, you vet the, um, you vet the, the, the people who are in charge of that trainee or, or, you know, not to place any blame, of course, in that person, but, um, but, you know, uh, it's always hindsight's, you know, <laughs> 2020. Um, so, uh, anyway, but yes, moving on, moving on. Yeah, that was a good point you brought up last week that you really have to have the right people conducting the training. Um, it's, yeah, so so moving on to the next topic, this one I think is is really interesting. So this is um, so you, you talk about how, how falling grain exports will affect the U, U.S. railroads' capacity needs. Um, did an interview with someone, um, and essentially, like the grain volume has been really weak this year. You have a sonar chart, you know, to, to that effect. Where um, you know, just looking at the AAR data, so this is the data from the AAR. This is pretty widely viewed. It's in the, the packet that comes out every Wednesday from the Association of American Railroads, and you, and you see, 2023 is this white line, this thin white white line, and really showing an, an unusual seasonal pattern. Really since uh, the start of May, so going on uh, let's call it four or five months, and you know, if you go back a year ago at this time. Everyone was concerned about are the railroads going to be able to handle the coming surge of grain traffic that takes place every fall when uh, this grain you know goes to market, and then you know sort of fast forward a year, and we have the opposite problem. And uh, you know, why don't you talk about um, you know wh- why this is? Yeah, so is it's interesting because it, it the the. Some of the conditions aren't necessarily new. Um, I mean, part of it is just you, you have to think about uh, exports globally, and and so um, you know, for soybeans, you have competition from Argentina and Brazil. Um, for wheat, you have you know competition for the Black Sea and and other, and other regions, and so um, so the U.S. and Canada as well um, are competing uh, against those. Um, those countries for those exports and so um so there's that factor that hasn't necessarily gone away it's 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 been kind of like an an ongoing issue but but i think i think some market conditions this year just were just more in favor of of uh the you know foreign countries this year perhaps than, than the u.s and canada um but the other factor to consider is uh sort of um you know anticipation that there'll be more domestic biodiesel production, kind of like how, um, you know, with ethanol production, you know, you saw that, how that, you know, impacted um, corn, movements of corn, um, you know, I mean, of course, there's still corn being exported, obviously, but then you also have, you know, some some corn saved over for domestic consumption to produce ethanol. So um, so the question is, you know, how will that look like for for biodiesel and, and, and soybeans and other um, ag products that, potentially be feedstocks for biodiesel. Um, but, you know, just like corn, you know, how will that affect um, uh, how how the railroads plan um, their capacity and like, and uh, and plan, you know, where to put crews and, and you know, um, where to, uh, where to position um, uh, locomotives and stuff like that. So, 
Uh, and and then you know how <laughs> you know if it's not traveling that far, if it's not travel or not as far, I guess, on out to the coast. You know how does that affect um, uh, the rail movements as well as grain? So yeah, that was a pretty neat um, piece. Uh, um, or at least you know that the interview was 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 uh, was pretty interesting. Jay O'Neill, um, who is a consultant now, his own consulting firm, but um, was with uh, Kansas State for for a while. So, um, yeah, we should try to get him on the show. Uh, we'd, we'd love to just yeah, um, yeah. Let, just let, let him talk. I mean, he just seems extremely knowledgeable um, from reading that 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 interview, and it, it is it is interesting. We have all these different factors coming together, so it's it's really on the, the supply because it's it's like one of these globally traded commodities it's kind of like even when you talk about the canadian railroads how you have you know potash is a similar situation where it's it's globally traded and what's happening in you know russia or belarus impacts what's happening in in, in canada here you have a similar situation with what's happening in you know brazil and it's um it's unusual i guess that the the volume and market conditions would change so much from one year to the next, but a lot of that has to do with growing conditions. Um, I can relate this to a chart on coffee prices, uh, believe it or not. Um, if you want to bring up a, a chart they have on, on, on coffee uh, prices. And so this is the cash uh, uh, coffee futures. And so what you see here is the the, end, the, the left part is, is 2020. You saw this huge run up from 2020 to um, you know about 100 to, to $260. Um, you know, for whatever unit this is. So it, let's call it go, went up by 2.6 X and then it's gone, gone down. Uh, it's the lowest level it's been since, um, you know, mid 2021. And the reason for this is that the growing conditions have been so volatile in, in Brazil. I mean, the biggest, you know, export uh, country for, um, for, for coffee is Brazil. There was a big drought in sort of the middle part of the time time frame that lines up at the middle part of that chart, and so the 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 coffee prices really increased. They've gotten better. They've come down. I think we're having a similar situation with some of these 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 grain products where the uh, the growing conditions better in South America. That means it's a tougher you know competition there, and means you need fewer exports from the U.S. In your article, you also bring up the exchange rates and and those are you know have as much impact as anything because you just have you know people only care about what their you know the, the commodity costs to, to them and uh, some of these countries in latin america if you think um you know in, inflation's bad you know here you know it's it's, it's worse there seeing devaluation of, of currencies which really makes uh you know people's lives uh you know worse but also makes their their um their, their exports seem seem cheap on a, on a globally traded you know basis and then you almost have the, another impact which is just the the aging you know population in, in various asian countries um w- which is you know a big source of where a lot of these exports you know go and and so it, it is um sort of a lot of things going together it does make it difficult if you're bnsf to know how many rail workers you need to work that uh pacific northwest you know, corridor for if you're Canadian railroad, how many workers you need to move the grain from Western Canada to, uh, to, to Vancouver. Yeah. It, yeah. There, there's another story that I've, I've, <laughs> I need to write. Um, I have all the notes ready. I just, you just need to sit down and write it. But, um, but it, you know, it, it's kind of looking at the Canadian perspective, not so much in terms of, uh, how, you know, how it relates to the Q and a, but just kind of more, you know, it, it, it 
initially it was going to be a U.S. and Canada, um, but uh, for better, for worse. Um, so so my question was to to various sources, you know, are, are there, you know, uh, are there any concerns about rail service um, with the harvest uh, coming on the fall peak for, for grain happening? Because um, it's, you know, it's, it's something that uh, historically has been a question, um, you know, several years ago. The surface transportation board uh, was uh, was asking each of the class one railroads to sort of submit their plans, and um, I, they stopped doing that. But that was a thing, so um, so we still keep up with the story anyway because you just you know because why not? And uh, and so um, the U.S. sources said they actually don't and you know see um, any issues arising, as you saw by that um, by that sonar chart, um, uh, even though uh, that graph is expected to. Um, that a line is expected to increase in the fall. Um, you know, the, the volumes haven't necessarily been <laughs> high uh, compared to recent years. So um, in the Canada, um, I, I think a, a number of sources brought up sort of that, 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 that issue of, of, of how do you handle, um, you know, forecasts versus, um, you know, capacity, the, the rail network capacity needs. Um, uh, both of the, but both CN and CPKC, um, they, they have to produce annual, you know, grade report or annual reports to 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 the Canadian government saying you know what their expectations are for the year. And I think both of them, you know, sort of stressed you know the importance of 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 um, shippers telling them you know, what their, you know, what their forecasts are for grain. <laughs> um, and then on the shipper side, um, you know, it was, uh, what was it now? It was, um, you know, the, of course the, the weather challenges, but then I think for the shippers, uh, there is some, uh, concerns about, uh, um, capacity actually at ports like the port of Vancouver. Um, so, uh, it's certainly, uh, the, the issue is, it seems to be, um, not just rail, but also just the whole supply chain, really, um, for for Canada. But um, hopefully, I will get that written sooner than later <laughs> because it's harvest season that started already. Yeah, so we'll we'll check that out uh, when it hits. And then you also are working on um, report from an interview you did with Dan Walsh, CEO of Track Intermodal. Uh, what did you learn from from that interview? Yeah, so I think um, you know. A few things like one was um, for the sake of asking, you know, what what sort of lessons have you learned from the COVID-19 pandemic, which which somehow feels so long ago, even though, you know, you have the uh, rise in, in um, COVID cases recently. <laughs> but um, uh, just the, the the in terms of, of concerns of whether there will be another um, uh, supply constraint um, with with chassis, he didn't think so just because. Those those factors that contributed to the chassis shortage in in twenty one and twenty 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 one were so, um, you know, it was just so unusual and sort of a perfect storm in a way. And it wasn't just the chassis shortage. He was arguing. I mean, you also had uh, just all the other um, supply chain factors affecting you know the chassis. You know, because you you would have um, you would have like intermodal containers like sitting on the chassis just. And and the, the containers couldn't be you know they they couldn't take the stuff out of the containers because you know because 
there's just not, not enough resources in the warehouses. And so that kind of perfect storm of situations. So um, he he expects uh, sort of, uh, you know, some some intermodal bonds to potentially like rebound maybe in the second half of 2024. Um, so uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, of course, uh, the world would be happiest if that happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting because... Um... You know, you would think that there would be some rebound in 2024 just because the retailers are still drawing down inventories. I mean, I keep going back to this this quote from, from J.B. Hunt that they had the other day at an investor conference. And they say, I mean, they talked to so many um, shippers that do intermodal. And, and they say that you know, some of their shippers say sales have been good. We've been able to work down the inventories to a reasonable level over the past year. But they have other shippers who say just the opposite, that their sales volume is depressed. They have all this inventory. Uh, they don't want to discount it too heavily, and they're just trying to sort of gradually, you know, um, draw it down. So they're hearing really mixed things, and it, I think it just depends on what exactly is being sold and and how aggressively those companies were with with their inventories. I mean, some you know consumer products, which is largely what moves via intermodal, just hold up a lot better than than others. You know, people seem to be d- delaying big pick big ticket, um, sort of more discretionary purchases, but, you know, the big retailers like, you know, Walmart really was aggressive and, you know, right sizing its inventory and they seem to be happy with, you know, where things are. So you would think things would improve in 2024. I don't think we're going to see any, you know, major peak season in 2023. Um, you know, all the coverage in the, you know, Wall Street Journal yesterday about how there wasn't any, just not going to be any peak season. I mean, we've been saying that for some time, so took so nothing to, to sort of take issue with, uh, there. Um, so uh, we'll look forward to those two articles on the Canadian uh, grain uh, service levels and then the track uh, interview uh, with track CEO, uh, which should, should be out um, in the next, uh, let's say, a few days. You seem to do you know, three or four articles a, a, a week. Um, and then uh, I encourage everyone to sign up for your newsletter, which you can find at any uh, at the bottom of any of your your articles. There's a there's a link to that. Yeah. And you have a newsletter as well, don't you? Like the, the stock out? I do. It is the Stockout, uh, which um, I'm not doing in partnership with Grace Sharkey. It's on CPG and retail uh, sectors. So look at the transportation industry from that perspective. You can uh, sign up for that at www.freightways.com forward slash the Stockout. So I'd encourage people to do that. Um, And that's all the time we have. Hope everyone has a great day.